So we are beginning a new sermon series for the Advent season. Um, my wife tells me technically it's not Advent yet. Advent is uh, celebrating, means coming of the king, right? And I want to start a new sermon series for this Advent season. But my, my wife reminded me yesterday that it's not Advent season yet. Advent season begins next week. Luckily, we don't follow church calendar, and we can do whatever we want. So we will start our Advent sermon series today, all right, which, which is about, we're going to talk about the lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ for the next month or so, all right? I hope you guys had a nice Thanksgiving. You guys have a nice Thanksgiving, yeah? Yeah, good, all right. Oh, I knew I was Sean Stark. Also, okay, Sean was in Korea for the last month or so, all right? I don't know, that's what I think. So I was, so I spent Thanksgiving. Is my, my friend's house. We, there's always a group of people that I always spend Thanksgiving with. Um, and these are the, some, uh, some of the people, these, a couple of people, it's in the home of a person that I grew up with. One of the children of my, one, children, uh, the children of my dad's best friend. So every year we spent Christmas, I'm sorry, Thanksgiving with them. But because I see them once a year, like every Thanksgiving, especially this one, it was like ask the pastor time. For like five, six hours, they asked me questions after questions after questions. Can, I, can a guy get a break? Seriously. You know what I'm saying? Right? Anyway, so we were talking about various topics that they, were, they had mindful of. All of them are believers. And they were going, asking me all these questions, questions about prayer, questions about suffering, questions about this, questions about that. And at the end of the evening, I gave them the, one of the best answers I ever give. And I said, look. Right? I'm paraphrasing my own answer. I'm allowed to paraphrase my own answer, right? Because I'm the originator of the information, right? I said, look, we're talking about all these issues. But fundamentally, the most important thing about the Christian life is finding the joy in knowing who Jesus is. They were telling me all these issues about the Christian life, about their prayer life, about their church, about the people in their lives. But I said, I know you tell me all these problems. But the key joy to a Christian is to meditate and find joy in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Them, like so many of us, we focus our Christian life, on so many other things besides our knowledge of the Lord. We focus what we need to do for him. We focus on the problem that we have. We focus on our needs. We focus on so many things. But the underlying joy of the Christian life is this constant awareness in the growing knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's one of the main points of Philippians. One of the main call that God has given all of us, it is for us to pursue intellectual and personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because it is in our awakening knowledge of Jesus Christ, there is where our joy is. Even prayer. You know what prayer is? The most basic structure of prayer is you telling the Lord who he is. 
you, start, you don't start prayer by telling Jesus what your needs are. You don't start your prayer telling, telling Jesus what, you know, what your problems are. You start telling your prayers by telling Jesus who he is as you discover more and more about him. I promise you, the more you get in the habit of finding things about Jesus and telling him who he is, the more you spend your time doing so, you will feel your heart swell up in your love for him. And when you do, that love for him, that joy in him, will lead you into prayers for yourself and prayers for other people. The reason why our prayer lives are so difficult, short, or even non-existent because you don't tell him who he is, and you don't tell him who he is because you don't know who he is. Look, one of the main attacks of Satan is he makes you assume that you know who he is. One of my many YouTube hobbies, I listen to a lot of debates between Christians and atheists, and what I find about every atheist is every atheist thinks they know who Jesus is. They have a straw man argument about who Jesus is, and they base their argument against Christianity based upon their straw man-like image of who Jesus is. They think they know who he is, but they don't. And Satan was is going to tell is, is trying to tell you, hey, look, you know everything about Jesus. Therefore, you don't need to know anything. You don't need to pursue the knowledge of him because you know everything about him. If you give in to that temptation and not study and not pursue your knowledge of Jesus, if you live in shallow ignorance, the problem is you will never find the joy in the Lord. Do you understand? For the sake of your joy, be a pursuer of both an intellectual and personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Before doing anything for his name, before you do things for his name, oh, I'm going to go to missions, fantastic, go to missions. But before you do anything in his name, for the love of Pete, find out about who Jesus Christ is. And that's one of the main points of Paul's message in Philippians. One of Paul's main messages in Philippians is how a Christian should live. And Paul says in Philippians, the way a Christian should live is, number one, pursue a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians, I consider all things rubbish, all things that I've lost garbage compared to knowing who Jesus Christ is. That's what Paul says in Philippians. Pursue the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's how a Christian should live. And number two, how a Christian should live Pursue the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Number two, imitate Jesus Christ. Christian life is very simple. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and imitate him. Specifically, imitate his incarnation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Are you with me so far? All right, let's go. Today, Philippians, the passage that we read, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, is perhaps the most beautiful and comprehensive description 
of the work of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Okay? It's, it's the loveliest description of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Right? So through these verses, once again, Paul is going to teach us who Jesus is and what it means to imitate him. Let's go. Verse 5. Verse 5, Paul says, Have the same mind, have this mind among yourselves. Right? So before he introduces who Jesus is, Paul is saying, Christians, I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. But you need to understand, the reason I'm telling you who Jesus is, it is so that you will have the same mind of Christ. NIV says, the same mindset of Jesus Christ. He's not only telling, telling the Philippians who Jesus is, but he's saying, you need to imitate this mind of Christ. The word mind here means mindset. And mind means, here means attitude. Mind, mind here means a person's established set of attitudes, beliefs, and assumptions, according to ChatGPT. Right, ChatGPT, what is mindset? And this is what ChatGPT told me. It is someone's basic attitude, beliefs, that forms their worldview. It is how you process information. It is what you believe to be what life is all about. That's what a mind here is. Look, Israel and Palestine conflict, it is almost an impossible problem to solve. Do you know why? It's because the Israel, Israelites and the Palestinians have different mindsets of who should be owner of that land. Israel's Jews believe that land belongs to them. That's their mindset. Palestinians believe that land belongs to them. It is an uncompromising differences in mindsets that is causing the problem in the Middle East. A less serious example is, I stumbled upon this Korean YouTuber named Artillier, I think, and this guy is a 28-year-old guy whose parents are really rich. And all his YouTube, he, and what he, his lifestyle is, he lives in the luxury hotels in Seoul. And all his YouTube channel is about is about the hotels that he stays, the clothes that he wears, and the food that he eats. His mindset is, my life is about the ostentatious demonstration of my parents' wealth. That's what he believes his mind, that's what his mind believes life is about. Mindset is a deeply held attitude that controls how you live your life. And if you have a different mindset than of Jesus Christ, then you will, you will waste your life. Having the mindset of Christ is not one of many different options of mindsets in the world. It is the only mindset that makes a significant difference in someone's life. For example, if your mindset believes 
What your life is about is me being prosperous, my children being prosperous. In Korean, if your mindset says, life is about me, 잘 먹고 잘 살아, Sean, you understood? Dang, Korean number one, baby, right? If your mindset is, me, 잘 먹고 잘 살아, and that's what life is all about, I give Jesus some bone on a Sunday once in a while, but primarily, I am about 잘 먹고 잘 살아, then that's a recipe for a wasted life. Because God has designed human beings to have the mindset of Jesus Christ. Do you have the mindset of Jesus Christ? Not just the Sundays, not just the church thing. But an attitude of your life, a belief in your life, the modus operandi of your life, is it the mindset of Christ? And that's what we're going to talk about today. What is the mindset of Christ? The mindset of Christ is God himself giving up his position, emptying himself in humility, to be a servant for our sake. That humble giving up as a position for the service of God and human, and human beings, that is the mindset that leads to life. Jesus says, whoever wants to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it. Once again, paraphrasing Jesus, if you think my life is about me, you will lose your life. But if you spend your life in the service of God, in the service of his people, you and your children's life will be saved. The mindset of Christ once again, it's not a one option of many different mindsets. It is the only mindset that leads to life. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ clearly shows that. Let's, talk, let's go to verse 6. Paul says in verse 5, our, we have to have the same mind as that of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God. Verse 6, Paul tells us, Jesus Christ was in the form of God. The word form here does not, does not mean outer appearance, outer superficial appearance. It doesn't mean that. The word form here means the essence, the nature of things. Okay? That's why when you read Greek philosophy, like um, Plato and Aristotle, they, the, words, the, the words they use are different than the words that we're used to. Forms, we, we're used to just describing things on the outside. But in the Greek, in the Hellenistic days, the word form is to describe the essence of things. So when Paul says Jesus Christ is, for, is though he was in the form of God, he says Jesus Christ was very nature, essence, God. You heard this. All your life you heard this. Jesus Christ is God. Yeah, Jesus Christ is God. Yeah, okay, let's move on. Let's not move on. The problem is people just move on. Jesus Christ is God. Let's move on. No, 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 no. We shouldn't move on. 
We should park our cars, park our minds, and ponder what it means for Jesus Christ to be in nature God. Jesus says in, in, in John chapter 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And when he said that, the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. Why? Why do the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus when he says, before Abraham was, I am? If you're smart, can I quiz you? Where does the phrase, I am, come from? Uh, stomping here. It comes from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses goes before God in the burning bush, God reveals his name to Moses. And God says to Moses, Moses says, who do I say who sent me? And Moses says, and God says, I am. God says, my name is I am. Do you know what an explosive thing this means when God describes himself, I am? He's saying, I am reality. I am who is eternal. I am self-sufficient. I am that is which all reality is based on. No, it doesn't just blows my mind? Okay. <laughs> and Jesus says, God says, I am, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus tells a Jewish leader that description of who God is, when God made his description to Moses, that's who I am. I am the self-existing, self-sufficient, eternal, all-powerful, mighty God. Still doesn't blow your mind? I'll blow your mind. Look, you may think the reality that you live is based upon your free will and your free choices. That's what we think that it is. But biblically, it's not. Whatever reality that you're facing, today, tomorrow, Tuesday, your reality is in, it's just a small part of a larger reality that is designed and implemented and finished and controlled by Jesus Christ. You may think your reality belongs to you, but our reality is part of the ultimate system designed, implemented, and controlled by Jesus Christ. Your free will, the evils in the world, your sins, your glory, they're all included in God's system, but it's still his system, and we're all just part of his system. Do you understand? That's why in, John, in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15, James says, those people who think today I'll, I'll go to this place and make money, and tomorrow I'll go there. He's saying people who, who, who assume their lives are going to be a certain way, James calls that evil. Why? Because James says those people who think their lives are, are set by their own agenda, 
have no idea how foolish they are. Because the agenda of their lives, unless God wills it, has come to nothing. You all pride yourself as intelligent, independent people. But look back in your life right now. How much of your life, how, if you're here right now, how much of it was contributed by you? The parents you have, the place you were born, the jobs that you have, the colleges you went through, how much of it is according to your design? So, so small of it. Guys who are married, there was a great possibility, greater higher probability than not, that your wife would have said no to you. Right? Maybe she ate a bad clam one day and she just said yes to you. But the, the rejection rate, because it's pretty high. But she said yes. Why? Because you're hot stuff. For a moment in time, she went crazy. I'm, I'm kidding. But whatever it is, there's nothing, if you look back, what, you're not here because you willed yourself to be here. Your children, did you will your children to, into existence? Did I, did I custom tailor? Did I, did I have a menu what my children were like? I want Caleb to be this way. I want Shadow to be this way. Did I have a choice in it? No, it doesn't. Your children drive you crazy because you don't understand your kids because you had no control over who your kids will be. You have no control. It's just an illusion. Our lives here are a small part of the greater reality, a greater system that is designed, implemented, established, and completed by Jesus Christ. That's what it means for Jesus Christ to be God. Jesus Christ to be God means he is the agent and he is the purpose of all creation. Jesus Christ is through whom all things were created. And Jesus Christ is for which, for whom everything was created. Look, everyone everywhere cannot help imitate Jesus Christ. Whether you're a believer or unbeliever, everyone imitates Jesus Christ. Everyone imitates Jesus Christ in the way they love. Everyone imitates Jesus Christ in the way they work. Everyone imitates Jesus Christ in their love for justice, in the hatred of evil. Everyone imitates Jesus Christ. There is no one who does not imitate Jesus Christ. You know why you get mad when, things, when, when, when unjust things happen to you? Because you're made in the image of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ hates injustice. Do you know why you appreciate art and beauty? Because you're made in the image of God who is the ultimate artist. Look, one of the artists that I'm obsessed with is this guy named Makuto Fujimura. 
He's a modern-day Japanese-American artist. He's a Christian. And he says every artist, whether they know it or not, imitates Jesus Christ when they create beauty. When you do music, you imitate Jesus Christ. When you cook, you imitate Jesus Christ. When you enjoy nature, you imitate Jesus Christ. When you love your children, you imitate Jesus Christ. Everyone, everywhere, all at once, imitates Jesus Christ. Because you're made in his image, and you're made for him. Andrew Huberman is the Sanford brain neurology professor who is the foremost neurology professor in America. He's a YouTube celebrity, right? Sean, you know Andrew Huberman? All right. Google Andrew Huberman. He's like a really famous YouTuber, right? Andrew Huberman confessed that he was a believer in God. And they say, why do you believe in God? He says, when you look at human biology, especially when you look at the human brain, he says, I cannot help but to say, wow. The things the brain can do, the way that our bodies can move, the thing that, I can bring, that our brains can devise and come up with, it's just wow. And Huberman says, there has to be a creator because it's just so incredible. Jesus Christ is the creator of the wowness of who you are. This is what it means for Jesus to be God. You need to contemplate, always contemplate the greatness of Jesus Christ. Your Christian joy is determined by how grand Jesus Christ is in your mind. If Jesus Christ is very small, if Jesus Christ is only a first grade Sunday school level education knowledge to you, then you will not have joy in the Lord. Grow in your mind understanding of Jesus Christ. For Paul, Jesus Christ is huge. To imitate my mom, huge. Grande. What's the explorative form of grande? What's greatest in Spanish? I don't know, right? God, my heart breaks because people's knowledge of Jesus Christ is so minuscule. You want to do a lot for the Lord with a little knowledge of who he is. God does not want, what can you do for God if you have a very small knowledge of who he is? can't do much, you know? But this God, according to Paul, even though he was God, he did not consider God, equality with God, something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. This great God did not stay in his greatness and grandeur. But he emptied himself. The word empty here means lowered himself. He lowered himself to be a servant. Imitating the mind of Christ 
It's not staying in an elevated position, but living a life of a servant. It is not one of many options to live. That is the way to live. Like I said, Jesus Christ deserves all glory and honor. Basically, the way you glorify Jesus is just to say, wow. Look, the reason I like to go to the stupid expensive restaurant sometimes, not all of them, but sometimes, is when I eat the meal that costs, I don't know, like a lot of money to, to satisfy my wife, but really I'm doing it for myself. Maybe it's the price point of it, but when I take a bite of that, I go, wow. The very first words that come out of my mouth when I go to an expensive restaurant is, oh, wow. Because the combination and the precision of flavor and the ingredients and the texture and the temperature is perfect harmony. And you go, oh, wow. When you truly understand how beautiful, beautifully everything is created by Jesus Christ, you say, oh, wow. Jesus Christ deserves all the wow, oh, wows in the universe. But rather than staying in his whole, oh, wow position, he became a servant. What does it mean to be a human being made in the image of Jesus Christ? You stay low and you act like a servant. Living a life of a servant is the key to fulfillment, is the key to being, having, experiencing a fruitful life in this world. Went to Korea a couple weeks ago, a week ago. It was a great trip because I appreciate, I respect my parents all so much through this trip. And one thing that I realized about my parents is they're always, they really are living a life of, of service. They always buy food for people and encourage them and talk about God with other people. And they're the source of so much love to the people around them. You could say, wow, that's a great life. You know? My father was in this very, very high position. I will never reach the highest position my father has reached. There's never. But he just doesn't stay in that position. He goes low, and he talks to people, and he encourages them. So does my mother. They're not perfect people. Man, was I nagged for the last week. Holy moly. A running commentary of what I ought to eat, what I ought to wear. Holy moly, man. But man, you see the way my parents serve others and the life that they're bringing forth to other people. That's the way you should live, man. 
Do you know how, how you have your job satisfaction in your life? How do you have job satisfaction? Look at your job as a servant. Really. If you look at your job primarily as a means to an end, just a paycheck, just the thing that you must do to until Saturday, until Friday night, then your job, no matter what your job is, it's, not, it's going to be terrible. But no matter how high or how low the position is, if you think, I'm imitating Christ by being a servant, I don't care what job it is. If you, t- if you have the mind of a servant, you will find satisfaction in your job. Imitating Christ is not thinking, I deserve something, but going low and even living a life of service. He not only emptied himself to become a servant, but he, but he was being born in the likeness of man. He was not only a servant, but God the Spirit, God of the eternal, became man. What does this mean? It means the incarnation, right? The God is eternal, all-powerful, God who is spirit, became a finite, limited human being. Jordan Peterson says, in one moment of time, when Jesus Christ came into the world, the metaphysics, the metaphysical reality and the physical reality met in one point in time. I love the way he describes that. Another way of describing Jesus' Jesus's incarnation is Pastor Andy Davis. He says, incarnation is Jesus' journey from heaven to earth. What is heaven? Heaven is a place of perfect order. Heaven is a place of eternal life. Heaven is a place where there's no pain, no tears, right? Heaven is a place of, of his glorification and adoration. He journeyed from that position into the earth which is full of death, diseases, sin, and conflict. Jesus' incarnation is his journey from the perfect paradise into this harsh reality full of death in this world. Look, and we are called to imitate that journey. I'm going to say something that will be quite controversial. Those of you who are asleep, listen up. Just as Jesus journeyed from a high place to a low place to do the Father's will, what I realize is if you are a Christian, he takes you to a place where you don't want to be. In your mind, in my mind, we want to be a place that's trouble-free, conflict-free. There's no problem. But the reality, but imitating Jesus' incarnation is, he often takes you into a place 
where you don't want to be. Where there's turmoil and suffering. And we want, we want him to take us out of that place. But oftentimes, it is in that place that he wants you to be. To seek him, to obey him. I don't mean a place of sin. Clearly, he doesn't want you to be in a place of sin. But oftentimes, looking back, all the Christians that I know are in a place that they don't want to be. Over Thanksgiving, my friend was telling me about a member of our church who has four children who are all autistic. She doesn't want to be there, right? My father was in jail for two years. He doesn't want to, he didn't want to be there, right? If you think God exists so that he'll always take you to a place that is trouble-free, that is not the incarnation. Maybe you'll be at a place that you don't want to be for years. That woman with that four autistic children, I don't know whether they'll get better or not. But in that place, God's presence, his spirit, and his love are there. And when you seek him in those places, when you obey him in those places, you will see him clearly. You will be transformed, and the people around your life will also be transformed. Look, paradise, a place of no problem, no conflict, that's in the age to come. But in this world, you are called into a place of suffering. The dangers of prosperity gospel is, prosperity gospel says, God doesn't want you to suffer. That is not the incarnation, is it? Jesus Christ, for our sake, he became a servant. He journeyed into this world so that he can obey the Father. Why did he obey the Father? Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So the reason why he humbled himself to be a servant and to be a man, it is to be obedient to God to the point of death, death on the cross. Why did Jesus humble himself, be a servant? So that he could obey God to go to the cross. And why did he go to the cross? So that you and I can be saved. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. 
All of us are made in the image of God. And we're wonderfully made, we're wonderfully designed. The way you start out Christianity is not you're a sinner. You don't start Christianity from the fact that you're a sinner. Don't do that. When you evangelize, don't say you're a sinner. That's not the starting point. The starting point is you're wonderfully made. I don't care what kind of a sinner you are. You're wonderfully made. But sin breaks that image of God in you. And the brokenness, the breakingness, breaking of the image of God in you causes you, to, causes you and me to do much damage, so much damage. Wonderfully made in the image of God, but the image of God is broken in us. And that brokenness leads us to so much danger and hardships. But Christ, through his cross, meant, paid for the price of our sins. And through his cross, he makes us whole again. He, he makes us recover the lost image of God. Look, back to my dad. My dad, for the longest time, most of his life, my dad wasn't a Christian. Very smart man. I didn't know how smart my dad was until this trip, right? Because, you know, you heard your dad is a high position, but you never really appreciate how brilliant your dad is. And my gosh, my dad's brilliant, right? But this brilliant guy, he was never a Christian. He went to church, but he was never a Christian. And then one of the main reasons why he wasn't a Christian is he couldn't understand why, if God existed, why he would allow so much suffering in the world. He went to jail. And this is his testimony. He went to jail, and the people that he, like he had a separate cell, but he ate and they worked out together with the other inmates. So the inmates that he met were some heinous characters. He met a serial killer, rapists, murderer, swindlers, thieves, a famous chef who swindled money out of his investors. He says, by the way, that serial killer guy seems very nice. And he looked at those guys and says, those guys look so normal including the serial killer guy. But there is, but I realized, even though they may look normal on the outside, clearly they're broken on the inside. Despite their outer appearances, there's something deeply broken about them that will cause them to do such things. He realized, oh, that's what sin is. It's not so much the external bad things that we do, but an internal reality of sin. And that is why Jesus Christ has to come and rescue us. Because we cannot rescue the sinful nature from, by our own selves. It takes Jesus Christ to take this sinful nature out of us. That is my dad's confession. That he found out in the place where he didn't want to be, which is in jail. 
If my dad would have retired a high-level government official and golfed for the rest of his life and enjoyed the fruit of his children, he would have never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. You know what it's like for a son to hear his, fa- his, own, my, his own father confess the lordship of Christ? There is no miracle like that in the world. Jesus Christ came to the, came into the world as a servant to die so that to rescue us from this broken nature in us. And when we believe in his name, he restores the broken image of God in us and we become whole again. This is why he came. Look, I was listening to a sermon by John MacArthur. And John MacArthur was telling an illustration in the sermon. He says, one one time during his service, the leader of the Gay Pride Parade LA came to his church. Right? And the the reason why this leader of the Gay Pride Parade, who is homosexual, came to his church was because he was dying of AIDS. And all his gay gay friend says, you're dying. You need to go to John MacArthur's church. Can you believe that? And when he came to John MacArthur's church, he heard the gospel. And after the service, he says to John MacArthur, John MacArthur, I want, I'm dying. I want God. How can I give, how can I get God? All this life, people around him says, yay, you're gay, be free. You be you, man. The world applauded him, supported his homosexuality. But in the moment of his death, the world could not offer him any solace. The world, all of his affirming friends could not give the man what he really needed, who is God, which is God. Jesus Christ gives God to that man. Jesus Christ gives God to everyone. That is why he came. It is in that humiliating service he came. And it is that, it is that Lord we're called to imitate. That's what God has called us to be. We'll talk more about this next week. And because of his obedience, God gave him honor and glory. When we obey, when we imitate God by being a servant, obeying him in the place where we don't want to be faithfully, we will, be, we will, receive, the, we will receive glory when we go before the Father. Guys, in this season of Christmas, where people are obsessed about getting, buying things for themselves and for their loved ones. Do not get lost in that noise. What Advent season clearly is about is God calling you to imitate him in his incarnation. Living a life of service, being faithful in the place where you don't want to be, seeking his knowledge, seeking his presence, so that he will use you to bring life into people That's what life is about. And I pray that's the message that we remember in this season. Let us pray.